This is a Federal News Network podcast. Two agencies that have say-so over the allocation of spectrum generally cooperate, but their agreements are 20 years old, and with the advent of 5G, it might be time to renew them. That's one finding of an examination of spectrum oversight by the Government Accountability Office. The GAO's Director of Physical Infrastructure Issues, Andrew Von Ah, joins me now. Andrew, good to have you back. Thanks very much, Tom. Glad to be here. You looked at the National Telecommunications and Information Administration, NTIA, part of the Commerce Department, and also the FCC. And specifically, what do they do? It has to do with interference of Spectrum users. Is that the issue? Yes, absolutely. And both FCC and NTIA have roles in managing Spectrum. FCC manages Spectrum on the commercial side, whereas NTIA manages the federal use of Spectrum. And so when there's a need for additional spectrum for purposes like 5G, they do need to carefully coordinate in order to reallocate spectrum from the federal to the commercial side when needed. So the interference issue is not necessarily like you can hear two things going on in one frequency or one blocking the other, but just enough that interference with respect to my business needs this much spectrum, your business needs that much. Right. And in the case that we looked at in our report, we were looking at potential interference with weather sensors on satellites that detect faint signals from natural properties in the atmosphere that occur at the 24 gigahertz band. So as 5G looks to have more spectrum in that band and and licenses that FCC did auction off a couple of years ago, uh, there's the potential for interfering with those sensors. Got it. And so what happens when there is potential interference? What is the process supposed to be between the FCC and the NTIA? I guess that's for domestic use. There's a couple of things at play here. One is on the domestic side where FCC and NTIA have a memorandum of understanding where they discuss and do joint spectrum planning, where they bring up issues on a regular basis. And for most of spectrum assignments, this happens without a hitch. But when there are more agencies involved, where there's more potential interference, this can get a little trickier, particularly when there are studies needed to understand the extent of interference and the kinds of ways in which interference will manifest itself in the future. And can they generally work out these issues? Generally, 99% of the time they do. It's when there are reallocations at play where there's competing demands for certain bands of spectrum where it gets a little bit more complicated. Because the spectrum then is a finite commodity, I guess is the underlying assumption here. Yes, absolutely. The usable radio frequency spectrum is is a finite commodity that needs to be carefully managed and planned in terms of trying to allocate and manage both private and public use, which both have tremendous benefits for the public. And you found in general that when there is dispute over a piece of the bandwidth, they can generally come to an agreement and decide who gets what. I guess the question then is what you looked at is what happens when they don't agree and there's a dispute? Well, absolutely. And in this case, it was in the preparations for an international proceeding where this 24 gigahertz band was being discussed in terms of international regulation for how it should be treated for weather satellites that impact many countries across the globe. So FCC and NTIA really couldn't come to an agreement about which position to recommend to state in terms of this international proceeding. So they could not come to agreement. And what happened then? So when they couldn't come to agreement, Without any procedures in place to sort of resolve their differences, it was sort of left up to state to do whatever they wanted to do. And the agencies, FCC, did recommend that they go with lower emission limits, out-of-band emission limits, whereas NTIA and the federal agencies would have preferred higher emission limits. 
We're speaking with Andrew Von Ah, Director of Physical Infrastructure Issues at the Government Accountability Office. So you discovered kind of a basic flaw in the agreement system, which is when they don't agree, there's no process for resolving it one way or the other. They can't go to court and decide, or there's no third-party judge here. And the other issue is that these agreements under which they cooperate are very old. So let's talk about that issue first. Do they need to be updated in light of the new technology and this land rush for 5G, so to speak? Well, we think they do. And that's what we recommended in this report, that FCC and NTIA revisit those documents and also the general guidance document that guides their preparations for international proceedings as well, which is a document that worked through the State Department as well. So we think both of those documents need careful reconsideration, particularly in terms of roles and responsibilities and making decisions and finding ways to come to resolution on issues when the agencies don't agree. And what are some possible avenues for resolution when the agencies don't agree? So they could identify, you know, the the protocols for how these issues get elevated within each agency. They can determine the protocols for when they go to state, for example, with what the position is. They can work earlier on to resolve these kinds of issues and disagreements earlier on in the joint spectrum planning process. And we also felt that they could really benefit from having some agreed upon procedures and approaches for conducting interference studies. In this case, the interference studies were very critical in terms of understanding how 5G antennas could potentially interfere with these weather sensing satellites. But those studies never got, they couldn't agree on the the outputs or the inputs or the parameters by which these studies were done. And so those never got presented. Uh, So the state wasn't able to use those or have those as a basis for their position in the international proceedings. So it sounds like there are some technical issues that are arising because of 5G, new technologies that use 5G, the new Internet of Things types of deployments are creating more potential areas for disagreements to arise. Right. Well, because 5G operates in some of these higher millimeter wave bands, as they're known, they require a lot more antennas. Those waves travel shorter distances. And so a large number of antennas are needed to use that spectrum and create a network. So in a downtown busy area where you've got, you know, hundreds, potentially thousands of antennas, you know, those signals can bounce off buildings and bounce off the ground and and all kinds of different services. And that creates that out-of-band emission that may interfere with the satellite's ability to sense those 24 gigahertz signals. And what did you recommend to the agencies and did they agree with it? We recommended that they develop decision-making processes and ways to resolve conflicts within their memorandum of understanding in the general guidance document. And we also recommended that they come up with some agreed-upon approaches for conducting interference studies. All of the agencies agreed to work collaboratively to update these documents. So we're hopeful that this can create a framework where at least they have a way to resolve their differences with a technical basis behind it. All right. Andrew Von Ah is Director of Physical Infrastructure Issues at the GAO. As always, thanks so much. Thank you very much, Tom. I appreciate it. We'll post this interview along with a link to his report at federalnewsnetwork.com slash Federal Drive. Hear the Federal Drive on demand. Subscribe at Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your shows. Hello, and welcome to the Lessons in Leadership podcast. I am your host, Shane Canfield, CEO of WEPA. Today, I'm thrilled to be joined by Vice Admiral Cutler Dawson. Cutler has had an incredible career serving our country for 35 years in the Navy, where he attained the rank of Vice Admiral. During his service, he had numerous assignments afloat and ashore, including Commander, Second Fleet, Striking Fleet Atlantic, and in Washington at the Pentagon and on Capitol Hill, where he was the Navy's Chief of Legislative Affairs. 
Immediately following his retirement from active duty in 2004, he became the president and CEO of Navy Federal Credit Union, the world's largest credit union, where he served for 14 years. Under his leadership, Navy Federal grew from 2 million to 8 million members. Phenomenal. Cutler, welcome and thanks for joining me. Thank you, Shane. You've had a fascinating career across both military and the private sector. Can you tell us a little bit more about your background and your professional journey? Well, I started out at the Naval Academy where I graduated in 1970. And then, as you mentioned, spent 35 years in the Navy um, with uh, six actual actual, uh, afloat commands. Uh, The first one was when I was 27 years old. Uh, I didn't know enough to be scared of anything, and it was uh, probably one of the highlights of my career. Uh, And then after I retired after 35 years, I went to uh, work at Navy Federal Credit Union as the CEO, where I spent my next 14 years. Um, I'm I'm currently retired and enjoying life, and um, it's been a great run for me. How would you describe your leadership style and how's that developed over the years? My style has been quite consistent. Um, I believe, and I've learned this in the Navy, that you have to go to the deck plates uh, to see what is going on. And you have to learn what your people do and how they do it so you can help them to be better at it and more efficient and more productive. Um, It's um, something that you need to do all the time. I remember I used to tell folks that um, you don't want to retreat to your cabin. And what I mean by that is um, the longer you're in a position, the less you think you have to get out and about. But that should be the opposite. You should get out and about more because people change, situations change, and you've got to figure out a way to get to them and find out what they're doing and where what you can do to help them. Uh, I. We'll talk a little bit more about your book, but I read it um, from C to the C-suite. Fantastic read. You talk about the deck plates in that um, as well. I would encourage everyone to get a copy of this and read some more detail about going to the deck plates. Cutler, who was the most impactful leader in your life and what quality did you admire about them? I had numerous while I was in the Navy, but uh, the quality that, that I enjoyed the most was the leaders that got to know me as an individual and that they cared about me. And I could tell that they cared about me. And they were not only my leaders, but they were my mentors. And um, I remember um, one particular one, Bill Schiffer, when I had my first assignment at the Pentagon, um, I would go in to see him with my problem of the day. And I knew that he had numerous problems of his own, but he would stop and he would focus on me and he would make me feel like I was the most important person in his world. Um, and I, I tried to do that um, throughout my career. But really, it's about caring for your people. Cutler, in reading your book, there was a quote you used that you used to inspire those people that work for you. And it really got my attention. And it was, it was you are the captain of your own ship. I wonder if you can talk a little bit about what that means and how it was useful to you and the leaders you were developing. Um, absolutely. Um, what I mean by captain of your own ship, when you are the captain of a ship, sometimes you're in the middle of the ocean and you don't have anybody to turn to to make decisions. You don't have anybody to turn to ask, what should I do now? 
you have to be the captain of that ship. And I, I translated that um, into, let's say, Navy Federal's organization, where I would tell branch managers that I said, you are the captain of the ships of Navy Federal. You're the ones that are facing the, the members or customers, as others call them, every day. And you have to make decisions without a lot of guidance, in some cases, and without a lot of time. So be the captain of your own ship. Step up, uh, make decisions, uh, do what you think is right, and you never can go wrong. I think that is so important. And you have to give your people a little bit of latitude to take some risk as well, because there is risk for them in doing that and risk to your organization. That's right. And, and I mentioned that I, I took command of my first ship uh, with five years in the Navy and I was 27 years old. Well, my boss had 32 years in the Navy and um, his, his guidance to me when I first met him was, Cutler, you do the right thing and I'll back you up all the way. What a wonderful way to, to spend an assignment with, uh, with backup and, and guidance like that. What, what great, great advice. Uh, it's clear leadership is a topic you're passionate about. You wrote the book we mentioned before, um, From C to C-Suite. Can you tell us a little bit about that project? Yes. When I was at Navy Federal, I would tell sea stories uh, as parables to get my point across. And um, folks would tell me, Cutler, we like your stories. It gives us a picture of what you're trying to tell us. Now, what else are they going to say? They work for me, but uh, uh, I took it as a compliment, and it was. And my wife encouraged me to write a book, and I needed a co-author to help me. And I found a lady named Taylor Keelan, who was the perfect, perfect co-author. She turned in my stories into wonderful chapters um, that I'm very proud of. Where can listeners find a copy? Well, you can get it on Amazon, uh, and you can also uh, get it on the Naval Institute website. Uh, and I might add that um, any proceeds from the book, Navy Federal uses uh, to give to charity. Fantastic. Cutler, thank you very much. Really enjoyed your time and your lessons in, in leadership and sharing with us your life story. And, and uh, I've learned a lot both from talking to you today and reading your book. And thank you very much for your time. It's my pleasure. And I, I, I would like to add one thing if I could, Shane. <clears throat> Um, during my assignments in Washington, D.C., I gained the utmost respect for the civilians that work here every day. They're hardworking, they're dedicated, and they, they have my eternal gratitude. Uh, I got to come and go from the Pentagon. They stayed every day and worked in Washington when I got to go out and um, enjoy being at sea. Perfect. Thank you. Yeah, WEPA serves civilian federal employees, but your comment is well taken because the interaction between the two is, is continuous, it's nonstop, and it's critical. So uh, the career civil servants, as well as career military, uh, our country would not be where it is today without them. I totally agree. And, and I can tell you from the U.S. Navy standpoint, uh, we couldn't operate like we do without them being the backbone of what we do. Thank you very much for your time today, Cutler, and to everyone listening to Lessons in Leadership podcast. We'll see you next time. Helping your employees learn new cloud skills helps your business become more agile, more resilient, and more secure. 
Not helping employees learn new cloud skills causes your business to become less agile, less resilient, less secure, less innovative, less profitable, and, well, ultimately less of a business. Don't become less of a business. Try Pluralsight and get your employees everything they need to learn new cloud skills. Learn more at Pluralsight.com vision. Winter season is here, and Discount Tire wants you to stay safe on the road. Get 30% shorter average wait time when you buy and book online at DiscountTire.com. Discount Tire, let's get you taken care of. Let's get you taken care of. 